everybody. That's enough. That's enough. I know some of you are visiting like, this guy better be pretty good or I'm out of here. It's like, gosh. And uh, I hope I... I hope I am. <laughs> so no, no pressure now, right? So welcome to all of you. So so glad that you're here today and everybody joining us online remembering our campuses in Middleville that's meeting right now and our campus in Delton that's meeting right now and all the cool things that are happening there. God is good, isn't he? It's just, I, I love being a part of our church family. So much energy. Uh, you didn't see a ton of kids stand up in this service. The next service, there will be a ton of kids standing up for going to camp because they'll right after church, second service, they'll be leaving and going to camp. I'm so excited about what God's going to do there. So uh, a few years back, I uh, joined a learning cohort through an organization that uh, I've partnered with over the years called uh, Leadership Network. And this cohort was uh, made up of guys that were uh, like professional in, in my profession. So they were guys in a similar place, pastors, lead pastors, of larger churches. And I was very excited about this. The idea was we were going to meet together for a couple days at a time over a period of two years, several times. We would get together in different places around the country and we would meet and process. And I knew this could be a great opportunity to grow. I was a little uh, nervous, to be honest with you, on the first day because I, I didn't know a single one of these people. But my assumption was they didn't know anybody else either, so we were all in the same boat. But on that first day, I got there and I realized within a couple hours that about half of these guys were like super good buddies. They knew each other. They'd done stuff together. They hung out. And so they're hanging out together like a clique. And I'm already starting to have this bad feeling because I feel like, you know, the redheaded stepchild. It's like, I'm over here, you know, and nobody's really noticing me. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You felt that. And then I began to realize as, as they started talking that these guys were all pastors of churches, in many cases significantly larger than ours, that were in much more heavily populated areas, in suburban and urban areas. And here I am, pastoring a church in the middle of a cow pasture out in the middle of Podunk Holler. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm, I'm sitting there in this meeting, and I, I've got a smile on my face, you know, and we're talking about ourselves and everything, and I'm, I'm hearing all this, and suddenly this, it just hit me on the inside. I just went, these are my people. You ever felt that way? These aren't my people. You're like in a room and you realize, you know, I'm with you people and I'm going to be spending time with you, but you, you ain't my people. You, you, you people from big city, you know, you people with a lot of money. I'm from the country and I got, you know, I, I just, I had this sick feeling on the inside. You are not my people. Now, the interesting thing was, is that over the course of that time, this learning cohort was amazing and I developed good relationships with all these guys. It was a really good experience. But I think most of you know what I'm talking about. There are times when you look at somebody and you're just like on the inside, you're just like, you're not my people. You're not my people. It's like, like a, a young couple. They have a kid that they want to have a birthday party for. So they invite his family and they invite her family. And the families come and they're at the party and it's great. But they're this family over here and that family over there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And never shall the two cross. You know, because it's like, you're not my people. I'm not your people. And they're the brave ones that step out. But you had that feeling on the inside. You, you, you all know what I'm talking about. So I want to get you thinking this weekend. Who are your people? I mean, who would you describe? How would you describe your people? Those are the people that you relate to on an emotional level. You feel like you share commonality with them. You almost viscerally would say, yes, you are. You're not just like me. You're not everything I am. You're maybe this or that. But 
But you're my people. You're my people. And all of us have people. And I'm asking you to think, who are those people for you? Who are they? Now, I'll give you a little test, all right? I just made this up. This is just silliness. But it's just an idea to get an idea of what kind of people that you relate to emotionally. Now, I understand you know and would consider your people lots of different people in different places and in different situations and all that. But just like I'm going to give you A or B, and you just choose one of those letters that you most think you would relate to, all right? And then keep track of them. There's only six of these comparisons. So would you say, A, you relate more to a cut-up? That would be, you know, somebody who's just joking around, goofing around all the time. Or be a more serious person. Which one would be more likely to be your people? Just, I know you know both and all that, but just one or the other. Okay, uh, here's another one. Would that person be A, informal, just kind of very laid back and easy going? Or would they be a bit more formal, B? So which one would you choose of those? Here's another one. Blue collar, A, white collar, B. So which one would be more likely to be your people that you would relate most heavily to? Now keep track of your A's and B's. All right, here's another one. A, this is a person that has a high school education or less, and B would be somebody that's got higher education, college, of course, master's degree, doctorate, all that kind of thing. So which one, and I know you know people from both ends of the spectrum, but which one do you feel like more like, yeah, it's probably more like my people, A or B. Keep track of the how many you've done. Here's one, and this is just political. Are you A, going to connect more with conservative people, or B, with liberal people? And then, uh, I think this is the last one, would you consider yourself being related to more people who are middle economic class to lower, or people who are higher economic class to middle class. So where where would you, are you A or are you B? Now I'm interested to think about this because I wonder about those of you and how you answered, and I'm not going to ask the question, I'm just going to say this to you because I know some of the demographics of our church. If the majority of your answers were A, which it probably was for many of you, as Jeff Foxworthy used to say, you might be a redneck, all right? Now, just for, just for the record, I answered A on almost every one of those, just because that's, just, that's how I'm made. I've got kinfolk in West Virginia. I've got hillbilly in my blood, and I am not ashamed of it. Okay? But it's a good question to ask. I mean, it's important. Now, the truth is, over time, your perspective, your, your allegiance to your people, that can change. And the reason it changes is because of the influence that people around you can have on you. So, for example, if you work with someone, and maybe you work pretty close, they're at the machine next to you, or, or maybe you're on a roof together, you know, putting shingles down, or whatever it is, you're working in an office, it doesn't matter. And you would say when you first met them, that is not my people. That guy's, over time, enough time, enough closeness between you, and they will have an impact on your life. You never underestimate the power of influence. And they often can move. If you're with them enough, deeply enough, they can move to becoming your people because of the power of influence. Now, Scripture talks about this. It says, don't be misled. This is 1 Corinthians 15. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And what that means is, and this goes both, this is sort of the negative perspective on it, but it goes both ways on this. It means that the people that you spend your time with, the people you hang out with, the people that you are most around, they influence you. And it's inevitable to think that you wouldn't be influenced is crazy. You will be influenced. And I want you thinking, who's influencing you? Because you're picking up stuff, even whether you're aware of it or not. Some of you heard me talk about, I had a friend years and years ago, and he would use the descriptor as a descriptor in his, in, in his talking all the time. We went to school together, we worked together, we did all this stuff together. 
as young men, and he would use the word stinking to describe everything. And I don't know how it happened, but I picked it up. And I never had. And my wife began to see it because I'd be at the table. I'd want to compliment her on the food. And I'd say, this is some of the best stinking food you have ever made. What is wrong with you? You know, why would you describe it as stinking food? But I picked it up from him. So here's the question. Here it is. Who's influencing you? And don't tell me nobody's, and you, 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 nobody influences me. I just do my own. No, 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 no. The people that you spend the most time with, they become your people. Who is influencing you? Who's having an impact on your life? And this is very important to understand. Because the truth is, many people who initially come to God and say, I want to follow Him, I want to serve Him, I want to give my life to Him, what happens to them is it begins to slowly erode because they don't have connections in their life with other people who are serious about following Christ. And because the people that they are closely, most closely connected to in their family and their social relationships at work and so forth don't have any kind of heart for God, that begins to seep out of them. And I see this happen all the time. Now, I'm not suggesting that Christians should live a monastic lifestyle, you know, go away to a monastery or a nunnery somewhere and just, you know, protect yourself from any potential evil influence that might come from the world. But you can't forget the power of influence just by being in proximity with people. It will influence you. This is an incredibly important thing. Jesus at one point was praying about his followers, many of us. I know some of you aren't there, you have to figure that out, but many of us are followers of Jesus. And he basically, he prayed to the Father about what we would be dealing with. Take a look at this. We'll put it up so you can see it. He said, I've given them your word. He's talking about his followers, praying to the Father. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. Now why? For they are not of the world any more than I am of it. In other words, Jesus said, they don't hail from this world, they hail from another kingdom, the kingdom of God. And I want you to notice this next part, this next verse. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Why did he pray that prayer? Because we are not called to be out of this world until we leave it. But while we are here, we must never stop being aware of the potential of influence to begin to change how we think how we live our lives, how we perceive things, how we deal with things. I don't think in any way I am overstepping to say we live in a world that has quite a bit of confusion. And so what happens is is that we're influenced by this and we begin to live in a way that's really not what God calls us to. And, and, and actually, this Paul writes this, and this is so powerful in Romans 12 too. He says, don't conform to the pattern of this, what? Of the world around you. Don't conform to the pattern of the world around you. Rather, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't miss this, Paul says. Don't miss this. And we live in this world that in many ways is upside down. I mean, I mean, so many things that are in, in our culture, in the culture that you and I live in, that we intuitively know on the inside. It's like, I'm not sure that's right. I, I, I don't think that's really right. But today, it has not only become acceptable, has become the norm, even though inside we know something not right about that's really maybe that's not what I'm called to. And so what happens is is that the upside down looks like it's right side up. 
and it becomes very confusing. And this is why Paul said, don't conform to the pattern of this world. Why Jesus prayed, God, help them not be taken by the evil one because he understood we're in the world and that influences around us and we have to be incredibly careful about how we live our lives. I don't think it's out of line to say that we live in the upside down. It's just the way it is. And yet, as Jesus said, we are in the world, but we are not, can anybody tell me? Of the world. So we live in this world and we follow the laws of the land, but we answer to a law from a higher land. Amen? We answer to a law that's higher. We live in a world with people who are not followers of Christ and we love them and respect them and treat them with deep dignity and we care for them and serve them in every way we can, but they are not our moral guides to how we live our lives. Amen? That would be God. We answer to a higher standard. So over this summer, this is what we've been talking about in this series called Stranger Things, how to live right side up in an upside down world. We've been talking kind of about verses, not so much Bible verses, but one thing versus another because there's so many things in the culture we live in that, that, are, that are espoused as these are appropriate, these are right, these are good. And yet if you look at what God says, maybe that's not so. Maybe it's not the best thing for you. Maybe it's not healthy for you. And I want to talk about another one this week, and we've had some just great talks. I've, been, I've heard every one of them while I was gone, just good good stuff. And I want to add another one this weekend, something that is so prevailing in our culture. And yet I think so often it's destructive. It's the idea of quitting. Quitting. Actually, I I said it this way. It's fight versus flight. Do I stay and fight for this because it's the right thing and this is what I should be doing? Or because I'm not happy anymore and I'm not enjoying myself and this doesn't feel good, do I walk away from it? Do I run away from it? And I'm going to sound a little dark to some of you, but just hang with me. I think this is a prevailing belief in our culture that if it does not make me happy and it does not feel good, I should in no way have to be engaged in that. I shouldn't be involved in it. And so I'm going to walk away from it. And you see it in so many places in our world. I'll tell you one huge area you see it is in marriage. Now let me, just, let me just start by saying this from the very beginning. I know that some of you are going to feel uncomfortable with, with me saying this because there's plenty of you who are listening to this talk online, here in this auditorium, at our other campuses, and you've been through a divorce. I want you to be clear. I bring no condemnation, and I'm not criticizing you or making any kind of judgment on you at all. I believe the past is the past, and we are in today, and with Christ there is grace, and we get excited about looking to the future but we're not, I'm not concerned about the past. You can't unscramble eggs. But I do think we have to be honest. The institution of marriage has changed dramatically in the last 40 years, 50 years. So dramatically that the young people who are coming up today and now realizing I want to be in a, a more committed relationship, in so many cases, probably the majority of cases, basically this is what they say. Well, let's not get married Let's just go ahead and live together, and here's why. Because, number one, it's more convenient. Number two, when it does fall apart, which it inevitably will, because, I mean, look at your parents and look at my parents and look at all the people around us whose marriages didn't make it, so inevitably something will happen and it won't work out. Then when that happens, we can just walk away. No harm, no foul. It's all okay. When it stops being fun, we can just walk. And because we have allowed ourselves to quit so quickly 
and often so easily, it has changed the very face of how marriage is even seen in the culture we live in today. And this is not just something that's happened in marriage. This happens in businesses. This happens in friendships. This happens in in difficult situations. It's like, this isn't fun anymore. This isn't what I want. I'm not happy with this. And so we turn and we walk away from it. This is just, it, it's, it's huge. So much of what the culture we live in, so much of what it does is based on a single criteria. What keeps it from going or quitting is so often, not always, I'm, I know it sounds like a blanket statement, I'm saying this is a prevailing way of thinking from my perspective. And you may disagree with me and maybe you're right, but this is from my perspective. The single criteria that more people decide whether they're going to quit or stay in anything is, am I happy? Am I happy? Because if I'm not happy, you know, I mean, when, when, when we met each other, we fell in love. It was so beautiful. And, and you know, the first couple of years were awesome. But lately, it seems like you've been distant and our lives are over full. And I, I don't even know what's going on. But I'm just not What? I'm just not happy. And so our thinking is, if I'm not happy, then I need to leave. Because happiness is the criteria upon which I base whether or not I do this thing or don't do this thing. Am I happy? And we say this to each other all the time. You should be happy. You ought to be happy. Happy, happy. Everybody wants to be happy. And I understand that. We'll talk about that. But this is what happens. See, I think... I think we get this advice from friends. I think we tell each other this. You know, we talk about, I'm going through this hard time, this thing. Really? Really? If you're not happy, go. If you don't feel good about it, just go. If you're not happy, just leave. We're told that all the time. And the voice inside of us is always saying this. Now, let me clarify. I understand that there are times to leave. There really are. God actually spoke to Abraham He called him out of his homeland. He called him to leave his extended family and go out into a new adventure with God. Jesus calls Peter and says to him, come and follow me and I'll make you a disciple of men, a fisher of men. Be my disciple. And we know that Peter left behind his boat, his nets, his business. He had a wife. And so as he was with this itinerant Jesus, he wasn't seeing his wife. Sometimes God calls you out. Sometimes it is the appropriate thing to do to leave. But here's the problem. This is where I think it falls down in our culture, where we have it all wrong. And that is this, and I wrote it out in a sentence because I want you to see it. We leave because of feelings, not because of character. We leave because we temporarily feel bad, and we feel discouraged, and we feel down in this moment, not because it is the right thing, the good thing. We base it on emotions as opposed to character. I mean, you just think about that. Right, right there is, is the significant dichotomy between where the world or the culture goes and where Christ followers to go. Because the world basically says, if you're not happy, remember, that's like iconic in our culture. If you're not happy, you should be happy. You, you need to be happy. You deserve to be happy. All these things are said. And if you're not happy, then you just leave. You just go. And sometimes God will call you to go. But I will tell you that most of the time, far more often you think, God's way is where he says, no, no, no. You stay. You stay. 
I know it's hard right now. I know this is difficult. I know this is painful. But you stay. You stay until I tell you it's time to go, until it is a right thing to do, until you can base it upon your character and not upon your emotions or feelings. You stay. And of course, this is what Scripture teaches us over and over again. Look at this Scripture from Ephesians. Paul writes, Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to what? Let's try it again, see if we can get like four people to say it this time. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to... Not get up and leave, but stand your ground. It doesn't say, you know, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be happy. Because in the day of evil, you seldom feel happy, right? In the day of evil, you feel discouraged. The darkness is on you. Depression is there. And trust me, I know some of you are in the middle of that right now. And I can relate to you more than you might know. I understand how that feels. But this is what God more often says than any other thing. is He says, in the middle of that, you stand your ground. And I love how it goes on. This is the next part. It says, and after you've done everything, you just stand. Sometimes it's all you can do to put one foot in front of the next, and you can't even get that foot out very far. But this is what God says. Do not quit. And I think it has become so easy for us to just walk away from our promises, our commitments, from our dis- you know, this thing that we said, I'm going to make this happen, I'm going to do this, and then we stop being happy, it doesn't feel good. And I see this happen all the time in so many areas. It's crazy, really. And it's a mistake. And so our memory verse for this coming week, I'd love to have you just think about this, just kind of focus on this, is 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. It says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, say it with me, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Now look, it doesn't say, be happy. Feel up. It just says, stand firm. Stand firm and let nothing move you. You do the right thing. He's just saying, don't quit, don't give up, don't do that. Now, why is God like that? Why is God like so all over us about more often than not saying, don't quit, don't walk away, don't do that. This is right. You stand, you stay, you do the right thing here. Why is that? Well, there's a number of reasons. I think most of them are obvious. Let's let's just look at two or three. Here's one. Staying, not quitting, is part of growing. Every parent listening to this talk, you know that there are things your kid's going to have to go through that are very hard, and yet it would be wrong for you to step in and intervene and make it go away. They need to go through it in order to grow. And all the parents said? It's hard sometimes to watch your kid hurt. But you know, I know this is hard. I know this is difficult. But you let them go through it because you love them, and you know it's part of them growing. They have to go through it. They have to stay. They can't run from it. I mean, come on. You got some young kids in your house. It's time for bed. So you say, hey, everybody, go ahead and get your jammies on. Then go ahead and brush your teeth. Then come out and see me and we'll read a book and pray or whatever it is you do. And I'll tuck you in, you know, and, and you tell them to do that. And then they come out and they're in their jammies. But you're not sure about the teeth brushing business. Any parents ever done the breath test? Come on now. And you know why you do it. Because if they can avoid it, they for some reason they do. So one of your kids come comes out and you notice you know you think maybe that he didn't brush his teeth so you say did you brush your teeth and he looks at you and says no 
and I'm not going to. Because it does not make me happy, and I have to follow my heart. What are you going to say to that kid? Now, it depends. If you're mom, you're going to go, well, honey, let's sit down and talk about this. If your dad is going to be, get your butt in that bathroom right now before I beat it. And some of you dads are going, I'm not that harsh. And I, I know that. I, I, I know that. But you know they need to do what they don't want to do. They need to do it because that's part of growing and being healthy. Come on, is that true? Staying. Staying is part of growing. Here's another one. Staying facilitates multiplication. Let's, let's use a financial illustration, an investing illustration. Just think about this. So let's say you have a retirement fund, you know, 401, 403, whatever it is. And you put money in there. But when you quit, it's like you take money out. And so what happens is, is this, the whole point of having a retirement fund is that it has the potential to grow and multiply over time. But if you keep drawing it out, and zeroing it out, taking it back to base, you never have anything to grow or multiply. And this is what many of us are doing. We just keep withdrawing because we quit, because I don't feel good, I don't feel, it, just, it, it doesn't make me happy, it's whatever it is. And, and, and it's wrong. Here's, here's another reason, is that staying produces legacy in your life. Now, legacy, very simply, is what happens that's influenced by you after you are gone. It could be because you're dead. It could be because you just left the area or whatever it is. But you're not there to directly influence what happens after you are gone. And staying, it's like when you love somebody, when you pour yourself out and you do it, even if it's hard, even if it doesn't make you happy in the moment, that staying, when you are not there anymore, it keeps building. But here's what so many of us are doing. We build something up and then we're not happy, so we tear it down. And we build something up and then we're not happy. And so we tear it down and build it up and tear it down and build it up and tear it down. And this happens over and over and over again. All because, now listen, we are temporarily unhappy. Because that's the truth about happiness is that it is a very temporary thing. Would you all agree with that? You get a new car, eh, I'm happy. A week later, car don't make you happy anymore. It's amazing, really, how that works. So, 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 so I know, I do not want to make light of the struggles that some of us are facing. I know some of you feel like it's like everything is sort of gray around you and dark and it's hard and painful. I understand that. And I'm not telling you that you can't quit something. It's not my job to tell you what to do. But it is my job to provoke your thinking and to challenge you to think about it before you do. And I want to give you just some simple thoughts on what to do before you jump ship, before you walk away from that thing, before you quit, whether it's your job or whatever it is. First thing, and this is so important, is that you need to check your motivation. You know, most of us are so good at listing all the reasons why we're walking away from something and why it's right and appropriate and everything. But I think, and it's just, maybe I'm wrong on this, I think, if we were to peel all that stuff back, the veneer, and get down to the heart of the matter, we so often quit because I'm just not happy. I'm just not happy. And so, I'm going to walk away. And I understand some of you are upset with me for all of this because you're like, dude, you, you, you're telling me I shouldn't be happy, I can't be happy. It's like... I have just spent 
the last 25 minutes stepping on the holy grail of our culture, which is, I want to be happy. I need to be happy. I should be happy. You deserve to be happy. And some of you are upset with me for that because you feel like you deserve to be happy. Come on. Have we had anybody say that to us? You deserve to be happy. Any, have you ever said it to somebody else? You deserve to be happy. Can I just respectfully, I know I'm getting any deeper here, but I'm going to do it anyhow, all right? Can I respectfully disagree with that? Who said that anyway? I mean, who are you quoting when you say you deserve to be happy? The implication when you say you deserve to be happy is that you somehow earned it. You deserve it. But how many of you know the truth is life doesn't really work that way? You can work really hard. You can do everything right to the best of your ability. And then the person that you love the most in life, your best friend, can up and die on you and leave you at a young age and break your heart. Is that true? But I deserve to be happy. But life doesn't always work that way. It doesn't always go that simply. The truth about life is to say, I, I deserve this. I just, why do you deserve this? Because you're nice? Well, I think I am. Good for you. So are tons of people. Why are people who live in third world countries who barely can get enough to eat, don't have clean water? Why don't they deserve to be happy? Well, they do deserve to. Why aren't they getting it? You see, life is not fair. And this is where I think we make the mistake. We think that happy reigns supreme. Now, just hear me on this, okay? I love happy. I mean it. I do. I love, I like it when I'm feeling happy. I like it when I'm feeling up. I like it. I'm one of those guys. I'm pretty emotional. And when I'm up, I'm up. Anybody like that in here? I'm not talking about being high. Some of you in here right now, you But man, when I'm up, I'm up. But I sometimes am not. And it gets very dark and difficult. I love happy. And I'll take it every chance I get. Happiness is a wonderful thing. Listen, listen. But it makes a lousy guide. Okay, that was really profound. Don't miss that, all right? Happiness is a wonderful thing, but it makes a lousy guide. Because happiness has no interest in building anything long-term of significance or greatness in your life. Happiness doesn't care about that stuff. Happiness is only concerned about how I feel in this moment. Come on. Is that true? Happiness is about this moment. And so we say, you deserve to be happy. I deserve to feel good right now. Where's the bottle? And this is why I think many of us get messed up because our motivation is to be happy and not to do the right thing. First, if you're thinking about quitting, would you just check your motivation? If it comes down to whether you're happy or not, are you making the decision based on emotion or on character? Come on, seriously. On emotion or on character? This is a right thing. Second thing, and this is so important, is that you choose to take the long view. And what I mean by this 
is that you make the decision that you're going to look out further than this moment to what you hope will be, what you see. Because in this moment, it looks dark. But out there, you know what you want. Now, I don't do this as well as... I mean, I'm growing in this like everybody else. But one of the things that I have been doing over the last some years, now I don't know how many years it's been, is I really do work at asking myself the question. When I get in a conversation with someone and I'm upset or angry and I want to kind of unload on them, you all know what I'm talking about, right? And I just want to say stuff. I will... I seek to, I don't always do this, but I seek to ask myself the question, how do I want them to remember this conversation in five years or in ten years? What it does is it forces me to look out. Because when I'm in the moment, all I see is what's in the moment, and I lose sight of the fact that there is a bigger picture to life than what I feel right now, and there is. Amen? You may feel dark. You may feel bad. That happens in life. Happiness comes, happiness goes. Happiness comes, happiness goes. Hard times come, hard times go. This is life. But to live your life based on making your decisions on how you feel in this moment is often tragic and disastrous. Take the long view. I'll say it this way. Go long. Go long. And I understand this is one of the hardest things you're going to do. I understand that sometimes, you know, you're working at a place and, 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 and you, do, you just don't feel happy. You don't feel good about it. You don't feel like anything's right and you just want to run and walk away. And unless it's a character decision, unless you know it's the right thing, unless God gives you some kind of guidance, be very careful about jumping ship. Go long. You know why, don't you? Because often it's after the misery that you get to great. And you'll never know it if you keep quitting. Go long. Even if it hurts, even if it's difficult. Of course, this is exactly what Scripture teaches. I I understand you're, you're... you know, when you're running the race, it just feels like, I don't know what the end is going to be. I don't know. I'm just, why am I doing this? I hate this. I don't feel good about this. But this, just keep this in mind. Take the long view. Go long. Look at what it says in Galatians 6, 9. Let's not become weary in doing good for at the proper time. For at the what? Proper time. Which is not in this moment. But it's there. We'll reap a harvest. If we do not give up. So this summer, my um, uh, some of my daughters ran a 10K in the Yankee Springs Recreation Area in the woods, on the trails, in these glacial hills, and it's really pretty in there uh, in the fall, spring, and winter. In the summer, it's just hot and buggy. But uh, this it was this summer they were there, and they were running this race. And so uh, a number of us went, you know, as family to cheer them on and everything, support them. So they're they're up and they start the race and they run and, and we have to go. I mean, there wasn't that many people coming to watch because it's very, it's not like you can go over to the next block and see them run. But you have to find certain trails and get there. But we did that and we found a couple trails and we particularly the one at the end we got uh, about less than a mile I think uh, from the end of the race. And we're there at like the top of one of these really steep hills. And, of course, most of the people that were really good runners, the fast, awesome runners, they're already gone. They're already back. You know, it's done. And they were impressive. But you know the ones that impressed me the most? 
were those people at the end. And so we're standing on the top of this hill, and we can't see down over it, and we, it's all brushy and everything, and the trees and everything stick with the leaves and all. But we can hear them coming sometimes, panting, cussing, miserable. And they come up over the top of the hill, and their faces beat red, and their bugs are biting them, and they're miserable, and sometimes their jog is so slow, I could walk faster than they were moving. Sometimes when they came over the hill, they were just walking, and sometimes they'd even stop. But then they would do this thing, which made me more impressed with them than anyone else. They would stand back up, and they would go long. And they finished the race. And I think for some of us, we just need to hear this. You've been thinking about quitting something. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's you're doing good something. You're serving in some way and you're just like, this isn't fun anymore. It doesn't have to be fun. You base your leaving on character, not emotion. You go long. And you keep your eyes on Jesus. I'm out of time. That was my last point, though, is fix your eyes on Jesus because the truth is, is if you need strength, he's the one that will help you in the dark and weak moments. Amen? And many of us can, many of us in this room can attest to this. God will help us in the dark and weak moments, but we have to turn our hearts in his direction. We have to put our eyes on him. And so you may be here and you're, you're just like, I don't even know where to look for him. I feel so far from God. Maybe... At one time, you chose to follow him, but you've wandered. Maybe you never have. And today, you feel like God's speaking to you. I'd love to pray with you right where you're seated. The way we do it at TVC, we don't make you stand up. We don't make you come to the front. We don't embarrass you. And we don't tackle you on the way out, you know, with secret watchers who are going to make sure that you have stuff shoved in your hand. We don't do that. If that's your choice and you want to do that, I'd love to pray with you. So would you all bow your heads, please, and just close your eyes for a moment. Let's just do this as an act of respect for everybody. If you're here and you need to come back to God or you want to come to Him really for the first time and you want to pray right now, I won't make you pray out loud. This is something that you're going to be doing inside, but I'll pray with you. If that's you, would you lift your hand and just make eye contact with me while everybody's heads are bowed? Just lift your hand. Okay, awesome. Anybody else? Lift your, lift your hand up high. If that's you, you say, yeah, I need to get back and reconnect with God. God's speaking to you. Don't miss this. Okay? Cool. And we'll pray in just a moment. Sometimes it's nerve-wracking over here. Okay. Sometimes it feels like I, I, if I lift my hand, what will happen? I, and just trust God. If that's you, seen two, three, four hands lifted. Anybody else? Last call. And then we're going to pray. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, those of you who lifted your hand, and if you were scared but you still want to pray this, you can. Just come to God and say, God, I'm a mess and I need you in my life. I'm asking you to come in and take charge of my life. Just tell him that. I believe as best I know how. I believe, and I'm asking you to come in and take charge of my life. Tell God that right now. I give you my heart. 
And if you're serious, say it to him. I mean it, God. I mean it. This is not just a moment. This is not just an emotion. I'm going to come after you. I'm going to follow you. And if you prayed that prayer, if you did that simple prayer, you're just saying as much as I know how I believe and I'm asking you to come in and work in my heart and take charge of my life, I give you my life, Jesus. If you did that thing, God is now moving in you and you can call him Father. And I pray for every person that prayed that prayer that they would be aware of your presence in the days and weeks to come and grow in that relationship with you and be strengthened and walk with you and go the distance with you. And I just want to say, God, we love seeing people make decisions to follow you. And all of us together say, yay, God. God is good. Thank God for that. Let's stand to our feet together. If you lifted your hand, we'd love to put a book in your hands. I didn't write it. You know, it's not like TVC material even, but it's called Seven Basics. You can text to get it or go out to your next step. And man, I just challenge you, if you're not part of a life group, go out to the next step area and say, talk to me about life groups. Tell me what's out there. Get involved because you're influenced by the people around you. And so now may you go with God's peace and grace and joy, and may you go the distance in the things that matter. In Jesus' name, let's say together. Amen, amen. Have a great day.